Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello football fans the best football preview pod as voted for by fans of Angling Weekly is back and we've caught a couple of big ones Sheffield United versus Chelsea is live on TalkSport this weekend as one of five Premier League commentaries on game day. After his late dance down the touchline, can Frank stop Chris from going wilder? Also this week, Norwich can go down. Manchester City can all but secure second place. And we speak to Kieran Tierney ahead of the North London derby. Bamiang has got a chance inside the Liverpool box and onto his right foot. He tries to sit up Torreira and at the same second time of asking, Lucas Torreira scores for Arsenal and Liverpool don't keep a clean sheet. Tottenham Hotspur starting the second half much as they finish the first looking bright, lively and dangerous. And Aurier has the ball in a crossing position on the right-hand side, tossed in towards Harry Kane, 3-0. We know you're missing out on going to so many games. That's why we bring you the best voices from the press box, the guys that are lucky enough to be there on your behalf. Mirror Sports writer Darren Lewis and TalkSport commentator Alex Crooker with me, Sam Matterface, as we take a look back on Thursday night's action as well. As Spurs forgot to shoot, Villa forgot to defend and VAR forgot to show up. All on the podcast that is almost as generous as the Brighton backline. It's the Game Day Preview Pod from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Preview Podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate preview of the weekend action. We'll look at all 10 games in a faster time than Newcastle can surrender possession and give Phil Foden the chance to mess up Kevin De Bruyne's personal assist mountain by firing wide from four yards hey look he's wonderful but I still can't work out how he missed uh, talking of wonderful Darren Lewis is with me hello hello thank you very much indeed you love the build up as always do you want to uh, serenade me like you did when you first came on the zoom chat earlier I'm going to politely decline on this occasion okay. and then when the camera I thought it was start, I thought it I thought it was great uh, Alex Crook is here as well he's pretty special I always wonder when you pay Darren such a big compliment what you're saving for me but I, but I didn't save anything. I didn't hold anything back. Let's get to the big game previews. They've done it! John Egan has two goals in two games, and Sheffield United have stolen all three points. Keep going. There's no no need to change what we do. You know, I think you've seen the humility of the of the, of the team and how, how they work. Thompson McGoldrick and he scored and he has equalised. No one in this planet would ever have thought that you know by the end of the season Sheffield United could be could be touted for Champions League football. Brilliant finish from Tammy Abraham and Chelsea surely have three points. We can't control the other games we're interested in them but we can certainly control what we do. It can fire you up a little bit. And it's fired in by Olivier Giroud and Chelsea have the lead. Team's looking really strong. I like I just like the, the energy and the synergy about it. 
We will look back on the implications from Thursday's results in just a minute. Chelsea had a wobble in midweek but got the job done at Crystal Palace. The truth is, if it wasn't for a Zaha wonder strike, Kepa's little flap, depends on what camp you're in, uh, Chelsea were on their way to an avalanche of goals, missed chances, gave away sloppy goals. It all got nervy. Hashtag story of their season. What is in store for them at Bramall Lane? Because both of you, if I remember rightly, said that uh, Sheffield United were busted flushes and you were keen to write them off. Crook? <laughs> I don't think Darren was, to be fair. I think Darren was a big defender of, of the Blades. And um, yeah, I mean, I was thought I was going to be proved right with their first couple of results after um, restart. But you have to give Chris Wilder an awful lot of credit for their recent performances. And you could see how much that winning midweek meant to him with his reaction at full time I actually think he forgot for a moment that the game was being played behind closed doors I think he was running to celebrate with the Sheffield United fans and then remembered <laughs> there weren't any but I, I think he's done really well and the fact that they're still being talked about at this stage in the season as contenders for the Champions League and, and certainly contenders for the Europa League you have to give him an awful amount of credit in terms of Chelsea I did the game for Talk Sport against Watford at the weekend I thought Watford were there for the taking and Chelsea duly did the job but Clearly, those defensive vulnerabilities were exposed against Crystal Palace that when you put pressure on Chelsea high up the pitch, they, they can crumble. And I think this could be a, a difficult-looking fixture because what you know from Sheffield United is they aren't going to be subservient. They are going to get in their faces and, and they're going to try and exploit those defensive weaknesses. The last time that Chelsea won here in the Premier League, Frank Lampard scored, but they've only won twice at Bramall Lane since 1974. They have taken 12 points from 15 since the restart. I read uh, one review of the match against uh, Crystal Palace saying that Christensen and Zuma weren't the most solid of centre-back pairings, which is true. But the alternative of Rudiger and Christensen didn't work either. They need to strengthen in that area. Although what a great tackle that was from Kurt Zuma at the end. That's an area that Sheffield United will target, Darren. Yeah, they will. They've got pace in their attack. And they've got creativity and a fantastic understanding as well in that front line. Uh, and the return of John Egan in particular has given them a renewed impetus. I think the news for guys like me and uh, in, in the written press, I, I think the resurgence of Sheffield United it is the reason why if they were to miss out on the Champions League, I think there might well be a PS to this season because certainly the goal that was not given against Aston Villa led to them losing their way against Newcastle. Um, Okay, you could argue that Manchester United, with their class and quality, would have beaten them anyway, but they drew against Burnley, Mm. a game that I would have expected them to to win. And I, I certainly think, given their proximity to that top six, top five, they would be justified in saying that that cost them their momentum. Tammy took his goal well in midweek. I maintain that he doesn't get enough credit. One less Premier League goal than Martial. One less Premier League goal than, than Rashford. 17 for club and country all season. He's not 23 until October. It's his first season in the Prem. And his Premier League record for Chelsea, 32 Premier League appearances and 14 goals. And some of those have been off the bench. It is not bad at all. And certainly took his goal really well against Crystal Palace. But they will have to take their chances that they get at the weekend because they won't get very many, will they, uh, Alex? No, they won't. And they're going to need that ruthlessness. Um, just going back to Darren's comment, I think this season's going to end up with more asterisks than a 
popular French comic, isn't it? By the time the, the final table comes, well, there's out. only one but, asterisk in that, isn't there? It? It's just well, there's a little the one against there's a little one against Liverpool um, and the season in general. But moving on from that, <laughs> um, but moving on from that, yeah, it's, Alex underscore Crook on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Chelsea are going to have to show their hard edge. Um, I put it to Frank Lampard after the game on on Saturday that one of the the positive things you can take from this season is that when they do have a setback, they bounce back pretty quickly. That suggests to me there's good character in the dressing room. He chucked it back at me and said, well, you know, that suggests that we have too many setbacks in the first place. So, um, <laughs> Which is true because they're so inconsistent. They win some of the games that they, they you, you think they're second favourites in and they, they drop points against teams they shouldn't. And Sheffield United back at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season was a, a key uh, match that indicated that. 2-2. Chelsea raced into a two-goal lead, only for the second half to be completely different. And I suppose performing for 90 minutes will be crucial against a very fit and a deadly, to the end, Sheffield United. Because late goals against Wolves, late goals against Arsenal recently, says that they're extremely fit and they're ready to keep fighting. Watford have won here by two goals to one. And in doing so, it surely takes Norwich City another step closer to relegation. Yeah, right now probably we have to we have to accept that we will go down. Where for Buendia, angle a little tight. Can he get a shot away? He does and he scores! Sometimes they might look pretty on the eye, but not much more. They're not causing the opposition's goalkeeper and defence no. enough problems. West Ham stay four points above that dreaded drop zone. West Ham nil. We have to try and keep our noses in front of some of the other teams and it's not going to be easy. You have to win and you have to play well. Yarmolenko's onside, he cuts in past the defender, he fires home! I have no doubt that they will pull it out of the bag because they've got too much there to go down. Right, let's move on to Norwich against West Ham. It kicks off our game day coverage at 12.30. That Sheffield United-Chelsea game is live on TalkSport at 5.30 on Saturday evening. We have five Premier League commentaries uh, this Saturday on game day. West Ham have found a player, haven't they, Darren, in Thomas Suchek. I think uh, now they need to make sure they find the net because that big win over Chelsea was a morale booster. But I can understand why the fans are still nervy. Yeah, I can too. Uh, They've only had one win. Uh, in their last 14 matches in the Premier League. The interesting thing is that um, they've also kept one clean sheet in 14 games since uh, David Moyes arrived. Going forward, they're so good. Goals in each of his previous two games for Suchet before the defeat to Burnley on Wednesday night. He had a couple of really good chances to make it three out of three. I can't believe he missed a volley from around about six, seven yards out in that game. But for all their, their ability going forward, they can't defend. And I think in the summer, I know I, from speaking to David Moyes that he wants to bring in the younger players, more mobile players, particularly in midfield, but he needs more organisation at the back. I think going to Norwich at the weekend, they should be fine because Norwich can't defend and they can't score goals. And I think if West Ham can't score against them, then they're really in trouble. But even if they can't, they should get at least a point at Norwich and I think they'll be fine. But I think they'll rip that squad up in the summer. Well, West Ham will officially relegate Norwich back to the Championship if they win at Carrow Road on Saturday. And you might be annoyed if you're a Norwich fan that you haven't heard much about them uh, in this week's podcast. But hey, the manager seems to have given up so we have two. Uh, David Moyes is not popular from what I read on social media. The TalkSport Twitter feed asked, name one thing wrong with West Ham right now. And the most popular answer was Moyes. Explain to me that because he's working with three different managers' players. 
He made the tactical subs that turned the game against Chelsea. He got a record striker, which he was given because he inherited him, who doesn't score goals. And if they win at the, at the weekend, he'll probably have achieved what he set out to do, which was keep them in the Premier League. They just stayed up anyway. Um, you, you're probably asking the wrong guy if you want a character reference for David Moyes. Okay. I think he was Darren? good once. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was good at Everton. I, I think the whole Manchester United experience probably scarred him more than he would publicly okay, admit. Okay, and, fine, fine. We know his history, but why hasn't he been embraced by the West Ham fans? Who else are they going to get at this stage? Well, his football's boring for a start. Is it? And I think, Is it really? Yeah. They're just... Be, they're just be, Chelsea 3-2. They yeah, but just that's created a, a hell of a lot and... of chances in their game in midweek, which was quite a dramatic match against Burnley, who are a results machine, as Jurgen Klopp has already said. Nine times out of ten, he, he, he will send a team out not to get beat rather than try and win the game. They are a team, historically, who turn up for those relegation. big fixtures against Chelsea. They've lost 19 games this season, West Ham. To put that into context, their record number of defeats in a Premier League season is 21 back in 6 7 you wouldn't bet against them matching that this season. It is a talented squad. It's all right. It's a it's a disjointed squad. It's an imbalanced squad. But they shouldn't be fighting relegation in the first place. And I think when he came in, most people expect them to climb the table a lot more quickly than they have. That's why West Ham fans are not taking him to their heart. I think the, the, the problem with the style of play is that they can't defend. I mean, if, if you look at the goal that they conceded on Wednesday night, Ryan Fredericks doesn't close down Charlie Taylor, lets the cross go in. And then uh, I can't remember who the defender is. He's beaten on the back post by Jay Rodriguez, who heads in. And that's been a symptom of their season. They led against Newcastle, should have seen it out, conceded fairly quickly afterwards. But do they play bad football? Not really. I, I agree with you, Alex, that he's got a number of different managers, players, and he wants to rip up the squad and make it his own. And I know that they're going to ship players out in the summer. I know they're going to try and get a link man um, to provide the, the ammunition for uh, Bowen and for Haller. What, another Haller's- number 10? Well, somebody who's going to stay fit. I mean, Lanzini's had a lot of injuries. Um, I think they want younger players as well. They had an ambitious move for uh, Barkley turned down in January. But um, I think they'll certainly go for another couple of midfielders who can stay fit. Wilshire is not fit enough for long enough. Um, I think Carlos Sanchez got a bad injury as well. He's out. When you can't defend... You have to do whatever you can to make sure that you don't concede goals. And there's, it's no coincidence that people accuse Spurs of playing boring football as well. But Spurs can't defend either. I think the win the other night was only their second clean sheet in their last 12 matches. We as football fans tend to want it both ways. We want to see excited football, but then when teams concede and in some cases either lose or drop points, we say, oh, they can't defend. But I think the way that Moyes and Mourinho are playing is because they are well aware that their teams can't defend and they've got to keep that back door shut. I think it's very easy to sit on the outside and say, we should be doing this or we should be doing that. But David Moyes is working in circumstances which I don't think anybody else is working in. There is a structure behind the the, the football club which I don't think uh, generates a particularly good atmosphere. And I also think, who else is going to want to work there? under Sullivan, Gold and, and Brady. I don't think there's too many people that are sticking their hand up and saying, oh, give me that job, please. 
Well, he needs um, to rebuild his reputation, doesn't he? After taking Sunderland down, messing up in Spain, ruining <laughs> Alex Ferguson's <laughs> legacy at Manchester United. Apart from that, apart from that, he's you know done great the last few years. Uh, let's move on to Brighton against Manchester City. Tony Alex Bloom, Wikipedia crook, <laughs> <laughs> Moisepedia. Um, Brighton against Manchester City. Tony Bloom, the Brighton owner, is a, is a gambler. He likes a bit of risk and reward. It's why he jettisoned a man who quietly achieved their best finish in thirty years and brought in Graham Potter. Brighton have scored the same number of goals as Sheffield United, but have let in 33% more. Is there a lesson there? Because Brighton don't have top-level stars, the greatest players in the Premier League, yet they try to play like a top five or six team. Chris Wilder, like Graham Potter, has only got a certain level of player available at his disposal, but he's adapted the way his team plays, taken them into European contention, and Brighton are just about keeping their head above water. Is there a little bit too much ambition at Brighton, dare I say? Is that the right way of going about it? Or is it just the fact that Tony Bloom quite likes the fact that, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder, you never know what might happen next? Ambition's never a bad thing. Uh, and so to be fair, I'll put my cards on the table and say that I, I don't necessarily think he has to stay in his lane. Uh, I think maybe we have that misconception that only the big clubs have, with the money have the right to do that and everyone else does have to stay in their lane. I, I don't necessarily believe that Tony Bloom has to do that. I, I still will always have a problem, however, with that decision to get rid of Chris Hutton um, and the speed with which they did it as well. I agree on that. Chris Hutton did to the club. I mean... It was interesting, you, you, you made a point, and you were right, Alex, about the fact that the fans had had enough you know, of Chris Hutton being successful. They've had enough of in Potter in January terms, and, and February as well. I mean, uh, we, we did a podcast on it, and we got loads of messages from Brighton fans who had enough of, uh, of the style of football, saying that they were basically begging to go down, and then won a game for about three or four. Well, in fact, it was five well, months, wasn't it? Go. There you go, Simon. This, this is the problem, you know, because... By any metric, Chris Hutton was a success at Brighton. And I see, you see so many, in, in the two years I've been covering football, I've seen so many fans not being careful what they wish for. And you talk about Tony Bloom being a gambler. A big element of gambling is luck. And he got lucky that there were three, there were teams in a much more shocking state than Brighton. He got lucky that Bournemouth had fallen to pieces, that Norwich couldn't defend and couldn't score goals and Aston were all over the place because Brighton, as you rightly say, defensively, they're not great. Well, you, know? you play out from the back like they did against Liverpool in mid You are going to get punished ruthlessly against Manchester City, aren't you? Absolutely. And, you know, and I don't expect to see anything less. And he'll probably say, oh, no, we'll stick by our principles. We'll continue to play the same way. But they will get eviscerated by City. And this is my point, you know. And as had they get- given, and Sam, had they given Chris Hutton 10 games and then said, look, we wanted a better style of play. We haven't seen it. We're going to bring Graham Potter in. I'd have said, fine. I've got no problem with that. But Hutton's remit was to keep them in Premier League. He did what they asked him to do with not a great squad of players. Let's not kid ourselves. And they still sacked him. That's what I've got the problem with. They got entirely got the right to hire and fire whoever they like. But and I don't say that they're not that they're wrong to aspire to play better football. Fine. But you know, if Neil Warnock does that job, he's a manager of the year, you know, and, and because Brighton didn't have a good squad, and that's just the only problem I have. I th- I've enjoyed watching them. I think Lamptey is a terrific buy for the club and he's going to go on and do great things for Brighton. 
Um, and it's good that they stayed up as well. They're a good club with good people. I, I just that, that just is a problem for me. That's all. I think I think Darren's exactly right about the, the timing of, of Chris Houghton's departure. The day after the final game against Manchester City, I said at the time on Talksport, it was brutal. I, I don't concur that it was the wrong decision. I, obviously, I watch a lot of Brighton. And it, you know, they've been on really poor form since the turn of the year that season. They lost five 0 at home by Bournemouth, and, and my understanding was that one or two players were actually whispering in the air of Tony Bloom and saying, look, we're in need of a change here. So I think the change was right. I think Tony Bloom will say it's been proved right because they've stayed up with something to spare this season. Didn't look like it was going to be that way at one stage. And I guess really we can judge him next season. If you're comparing Sheffield United, let's see who finishes higher in the Premier League next season. Manchester City were excellent in midweek. Kevin De Bruyne with an assist. Newcastle were frankly abysmal. Uh, it was a torturous game to commentate on. City strolled through it in second gear. Maybe I think they only actually got into second gear a couple of times, to be honest with you. It might be a team of ageing stars, but David Silva could have walked around with a Zimmer frame and still he would have walked past that Newcastle defence. Two right-backs and a centre-half in midfield. I mean, I know they had injuries, Newcastle United, but they, they, they certainly had their flip-flops on. As far as uh, Manchester City are concerned, I suppose it's about getting minutes... Into the, into the body for all of their squad that they're going to have to use in the post-season competition, the Champions League, because they've got, hopefully, I mean, for English football's sake, quite a few games in the short space of time. Yeah, they need to build some momentum. Pep said that himself after they lost at Southampton. Probably, again, they didn't deserve to lose as, as good as Saints played. When you have 26 shots on goal, you'd expect one of them to find the back of the net. I think this will be a game that will suit Manchester City because, as we saw against Liverpool, Brighton will try and play a bit and that will probably leave gaps on, on the counter-attack. I think they're better at home at the moment, City, than they have been away from home since the restart. But I think they'll win this game. And um, as I say, they'll just try and get minutes into, into players before the end of the season to make sure they're in the best possible shape for the FA Cup and the Champions. They could still win three trophies this season, which, considering they've lost nine Premier League games over the course of the campaign, would be some. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. My foot. 
Okay, let's whip round three of the Premier League games while showing our expertise as we jump on a bit of roulette rivalry. Producer Lucy will give us one of the weekend games to preview against the clock. Lucy, over to you. Right, is everyone excited? Yeah, massively. Yeah, yeah. Seeing as you're so enthusiastic, Darren, you can go first. And you have Watford v Newcastle. And the time starts... That big start button. Watford had a much needed victory over Norwich um, in midweek, and I think that would have done so well to give a lot of confidence back to a group of players that couldn't buy a win beforehand. One victory in their previous 12 matches. Uh, for a club that had done so well during the lockdown, we had so many players standing up to be counted, talking about their concerns about why they didn't want football to come back, and saying that they felt that there were bigger issues at play than coming back to kick a ball around and, and rightly so uh, but it looked as though psychologically the, the lockdown had taken their toll on them when they couldn't defend they couldn't score goals they were all over the place on so many occasions and they were taken apart by Chelsea last weekend but against Norwich they were back to their best stop, Danny Welbeck stop 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 she called time on you crikey you wanted to go on and an essay there well you know I'm a bit shy <laughs> <laughs> Right, Crook, if you've finished eating your toast, you're up next. Yeah. I'm going to give you Liverpool v Burnley. And time starts now. Well, Burnley have inadvertently and unwittingly been one of these stories of the restart, haven't they? Their run of form, given the off-the-pitch speculation about the future of Sean Dyche, has been nothing short of terrific. Uh, and they might, by default, end up in the Europa League again, which I'm sure if Sean Dyche does stay in charge after what happened to their season last time they were in Europe, he would probably pass up the opportunity. Having said that, I think this is a game that Liverpool will win. Um, they're closing in on Manchester City's record points to all of 100. They need to keep winning to get that. There's all kinds of personal milestones as well. I saw Mo Salah score twice against Brighton. He's very much in the hunt for the golden boot. That will keep him hungry. So I'm expecting a, a comfortable home victory, assuming that Liverpool... Oh. turn up as they did against Brighton oh. as opposed to one or two of their recent performances. What is it with you lot ignoring me? I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> right, Sam? What have I got? Well, I think you know what you've got because I saw your head down then like you were reading. Actually, I was sending a picture to our group chat of Bodie Elfman because <laughs> uh, Darren thinks I look like him. You do. So what, when he was younger, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? <laughs> Stop being nice to him. <laughs> I love Sam. I love you, Darren. I say, right, let's go. Uh, Wolves v Everton. <laughs> Time starts now. Uh, Wolves against Everton Sunday. It's on Talk Sport. Nuno was very positive in defeat against Sheffield United, despite the fact they conceded a very, very late goal. Usually it's the preserve of Wolverhampton Wanderers to score late goals. I saw them against Arsenal. I thought they lacked a little bit of invention in that game. I don't think they created enough chances in the match against uh, Sheffield United too. Obviously, Sheffield United very good defensively, uh, so that was always going to be a tight match. But against Everton, it depends which Everton turn up. Everton have been disciplined in certain games, but I think at the same time, they know that they're not going to uh, finish the season with any real flourish and, and crash the European places. They're experimenting with some of the their players. One or two of them are on the lookout for a departure and their goal for it actually is 4-0. Way. It's a daddy, isn't he? He's the cool cat daddy-o. 
Well, I don't know. That was the best one I've done in about six months, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> the disaster last week. On Monday, she uh, came off the back of my 45-second uh, preview and said to Matt Holland, don't be nervous. As you can tell, they're not very good. <laughs> Game day is your ray of light every Saturday. Plays it square for Buendia. Angle a little tight. Can he get a shot away? He does! And he scores! And Norwich lead! Yarmolenko's onside. He cuts in past the defender. He fires home. And he surely fires West Ham United. Three points clear of the relegation zone. Now going to backheel it for Alexander-Arnold oh. to strike it. Oh, and how he strikes it. Wonderful goal. He's flicked on chance here. And he's poked into the back of the net by Tarkovsky. Fired in by Olivier Giroud. And Chelsea have the lead. John Egan on the half volley has rifled the ball into the top corner. Mopay's in! Mopay wins it for Brighton! Ball turned over by Manchester City. De Bruyne pulls it back. Mahrez, simple tap in 2-0. That is one of the goals of the season from Danny Welbeck. His first Premier League goal for Watford. Shelby fires it. Oh, what a goal! John Joe Shelby responds for Newcastle. Game day wouldn't be the same without a bit of fantasy football interest. Here's the Dream Team Butler to provide us or to serve us up with some gems. Um, I think Alex Crook said on a text message this week that the thing about Butler is he's aptly named because he always serves up some wonderful uh, tips for Dream Team, at which point I pointed out that that wasn't true. Um, but... <laughs> But, but anyway, um, that's mainly because I follow you and I, when, when you say to me, put this person in, I do. And, you know, it, it, it didn't work for me this week because uh, Kevin De Bruyne, I obviously was desperate to see get seven assists at the uh, uh, Etihad Stadium on Wednesday night. He probably could have done if Phil Foden converted any number of those chances, but um, he only got one. So what have you got for me this week? What's your banker? I'm going for for Willian. Um, he's been in superb form since uh, football's return. In Dream Team, he's averaging over 16 points per game week. In Dream Team, he's only in the game at 3.8 million. He's got 179 points this season, which is actually really not too bad for a, a player of his price. And I just wonder now, because I speak to Chelsea fans about him, and it's just that, is he now playing well because he won in the new contract, or is he just hitting decent form at the right time? And they say, oh, he's just playing for a new contract. But I think these sort of fans have got to realise this is a player that might actually be bringing you into the Champions League so that's good enough for a new contract sure yeah, I, I have a problem with that Andrew you, you, you said that he's the banker but he's up against one of the most well organised sides in the country who have hit form again two wins from their last three and they look good they play with a system that not many teams find it easy to break down. And so I think he might find it more difficult against Sheffield United than we all think. Given, I got, I agree with you, he was in terrific form. As at Palace in midweek, he was absolutely sensational. But against Sheffield United, I'm not so sure. I don't understand why Chelsea don't want to give him a longer contract. He is only 31 years of age. The complaint from Chelsea fans is that his goal output isn't great, but he's got six goals in eight games. So it clearly is there. He's a, he's a great influence in the dressing room. He sees it as his... I spoke to him down at Southampton earlier in the season. And he told me he sees it as his responsibility to help the team, help the younger players come through in this situation. I don't think you can have a whole team, a whole squad of young players. And he has got so much experience. He's certainly worth, for me, for my money, a couple more years. Even if it means you have to pay him for three years. Christ, they spent £71 million on a goalkeeper that can't catch. So an extra year on a contract for William can't, can't be too expensive. I, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. Butler's beauty. 
Uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about David Silva because it might be my last chance to to kind of honour the, the, what he's been doing um, uh, in the Premier League uh, in the last kind of decade or so. Um, he hasn't actually scored a great deal of points in Dream Team this season with 95, but he's actually scored over a fifth of his total points for the season just this week with 20. <laughs> um, but he's been just an amazing servant to City, an all-time Premier League great. Uh, this is probably the last time you'll you'll get to pick him in, uh, in Dream Team. So... Um, just thought I'd give him a little nod and uh, if you want to pick him he's in there at 2.8 million he's going to get a testimonial isn't he Pep said that you know when fans are allowed back to games that they're going to honour his 10 years service they might even fill the Etihad Stadium for a change (laughs) oh see I mean that's a Manchester United fan talking isn't it Um, let's move on to uh, Butler's big bet (laughs) while the trolls start piling into at Alex (laughs) underscore crook his number is 0789. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, interesting to see what Darren thinks about this as well, because I'm going for another Chelsea player. Um, Olivier Giroud. But, I mean, this is this is the big bet there as well. So you've got to appreciate this. Uh, Giroud's in at 2.3 million. He's only scored 42 points. He has only played a full 90 minutes of football once this season. That was in the FA Cup against Liverpool. But he's um, mint. He's great. I, I really like him. He scored two goals this week. He's one of those players that um, I think is going to be uh, sort of, um, I, I'd describe him as like a, a future Wikipedia star because his goals, you know, he's, he's sort of one in three probably over the course of his career, but he would have had a career which goes, um, you know, Montpellier, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Looks good. I wonder whether you were doing the the sort of French thing there because you were going Montpellier, uh, Arsenal, uh, you know, uh, well. uh. That was just me thinking out loud as Arsene Wenger. And then loads of uh, of appearances for France as well as being a World Cup winner. He's the third um, in the all-time list of French goal scorers. hmm. I mean, it's not bad, is it, really? Not only that, but in a fantastic France side with lots of quick creative players he still holds down his place uh, either in the side or in the squad they still value him he's essential. Uh, and, and rightly so he is essential because he holds up the ball tremendously well he's yeah. terrific in the air he doesn't have the pace that could get you away from the last defender but the way that Chelsea play often he doesn't need that pace and it was it was a bit criminal that he was on the bench really when Abraham wasn't scoring goals 15 first half of the season only one since the turn of the year obviously before Crystal Palace the other night but Giroud's come back into the side and you're right he's been in great form four goals in the last six matches the problem again that I got is that he's up against a very very well organised Sheffield United it's... side and if you take away that poor form where they lost their way a bit after that criminal decision um, against Aston Villa they've, they've got it out of their system now and they're back and they're in the mix as well for a Champions League place I think it's going to be quite hard to break down that defence and that's why I wouldn't go with any player against Sheffield United this well, weekend but not, you're, the, you're the boss and not to say that he's a, a, a co- going to contradict himself here but who's Butler's bargain? Well, look, this is mainly an, an, well, not an apology. I'm not going to apologise. I'm not going to apologise <laughs> for anything. Again. Because here we, uh, sorry, I always feel like I'm on the back foot when I apologise. <laughs> because yeah, Darren will appreciate he's made, mentioned twice of this well-organised Sheffield United team. And John Egan has come back into the team after his sending off against Newcastle. And he's back on fire again, mainly for his goals. So, you know, you could pick William Giroud and Egan because he scored, um, he scored back-to-back goals against Wolves and Burnley. Um, he, you know, he, he had a great game as well um, on Wednesday night. And, uh, 
yeah, he might be worth looking in, but that's mainly because football returned. And then the first podcast I did after the, uh, after the break was just me saying, get rid, because he's in my team and I think I might be tempted to get him back in. I brought him back in this week and he's got me, uh, I think he got me well, a huge number of points uh, this week. Uh, is Smile Asar is your block tackle? Why? Uh, well, this is again from his time when he's, that, that game against Liverpool, Ismail Asar's was, I don't know if that's now an outlier because since that performance against uh, Liverpool earlier this year, he hasn't scored a single point on Dream Team. I did a little bit of digging. Not even a minus point. No seven plus ratings from who scored. Mate. Just, just none at all. He's going to score this weekend. Or he's going to set up <laughs> Troy Deeney. I'm telling you now, they are going to run so sure, right Sam. this weekend. <laughs> one win in 13 for Watford uh, before the win over Norwich. Sorry, one win in 12 for Watford before the win over Norwich. You could argue that they're back in form. That maybe is the win that they needed. Everyone wins against Norwich to get their season back up and running. Um, <laughs> sorry, Watford. But it's true. It, it is true. Uh, it is, it, uh, sorry, sorry, Norwich, I should say. Um, it's interesting with Newcastle because they're either brilliant or terrible. Um in in recent games, I still think that they get the bad defeats out of their system and then they get back on it, if you like. I mean, Injuries, I think, are going to be a problem. I spoke to see Bruce Law, uh, on Wednesday night in the rain. I gave him an umbrella, uh, so he was slightly happier with me. Um, and he was saying that a lot of the players that he left out, he had to leave out because they had soft tissue injuries. Almiron's carrying a thigh problem that he doesn't want to sort of draw attention to because he wants to keep playing. Alan Sam Maximan, I think, has expended quite a lot of injury and has uh, uh, sorry a lot of energy and has picked up an injury as a result of that. They look very loose defensively. They look like a team that have accumulated the points that they need to stay in the division and are mm. now quite happy about the summer yeah. just around the corner. Yeah, maybe so is the right is a good call actually because I mean. You know, yeah. Watford back on it, good win in the week. It probably is a good call because Andrew said don't pick him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how much you two are questioning the butler this week. Batman never treated Alfred this badly, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, I'm starting to understand Butler's big bets. And so I know now that if I put, because I think Sar is around about five to one, which means if I put a pound on him, I will lose... <laughs> we'll see you on Monday we'll, we'll see you on Monday a- Andrew thank you very much <laughs> thank you yeah, cheers guys take care let's get to Sunday's North London derby and kick off with a chat I had with Kieran Tierney ahead of the game yeah it's a massive game massive game for the club massive game for the fans and as I say we'll pick ourselves up there's positives to take from tonight we're disappointed about the result and dropping two points but there's still positives um, and as I said, we'll pick ourselves up 100% and we'll go again. Uh, so we've heard from Kieran Tierney. Uh, he knows it's a big game, but if Tottenham can't land a shot on Bournemouth, then the chances are he's not going to be very busy. Uh, Alex Crook is back from Bournemouth uh, against Tottenham and he's in the pub. Hello? Tell you what, I need a drink after sitting through that game. It was utterly turgid. And I don't hold it against Bournemouth because they're fighting for their lives. Tottenham did not have a single shot on target against the team who are 18th in the table and fighting for their lives. It's unforgivable. Jose Mourinho, he looked miserable before the game. He looked miserable during the game. He looked miserable after the game. And I really feel sorry for Harry Kane. He must wonder, what am I doing trying to lead the line in this team? Didn't get a kick all night. Um, he got one touch, I think. His first touch in the opposition penalty area was in the 75th minute or something like that. So it was a bit... 
but it was a bit difficult to, 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 to watch from an England point of view because obviously he's been the fulcrum of the Tottenham attack for a long time and he just looked as if he was devoid of any service. He looked a little bit, he actually looked a little bit hacked off really. The big, the big headline from the game was the VAR decision involving Harry Kane though. Uh, I understand, I've spoken to the PGMO about this and they, uh, they're sort of intimating to me it should have been a penalty and it should have been given. Maybe they should have had a penalty and it, it could have turned out to be a very different game. But actually, when we spoke with Matt Holland earlier this week, I said to you that Jose would have watched Bournemouth's performance against Manchester United, realised that actually when teams allow them to play, they can be quite decent going forward. So he would shut the door on that and that's exactly what he did. And if you look at it, since that Sheffield United debacle, the performance against Everton on Monday night and again this, this evening, Thursday night, he's reverted to type. He's tried to make his side difficult to beat. He's tried to be defensively solid and he's sacrificed all their attacking impetus as a result. And I'll be really interested to see what Tottenham team turn up against Arsenal. Again, I think it'll be an attritional performance and it'll be up to Arsenal to break them down. OK, so Tottenham against Arsenal is on Sunday at 4.30. Um, we'll talk about Manchester United in just a second because they played also tonight or last night. I said, well, it is tonight. I might as well not. There's no point in lying about it you're in a pub you're not going to be in a pub uh, on Thursday on Friday morning are you well you might be you probably will still be to be, to be fair um, but Manchester United Southampton is 8pm on Monday we'll get to that in just a second Bournemouth's next game is against Leicester and Bournemouth getting a point in that game on Thursday night is really important now I can see your face and you're sitting there going oh actually uh, it doesn't really matter they needed all three but West Ham have got to play Watford next Friday night now because West Ham have got to play Watford it means that Bournemouth, with any sort of result in any of their next games, are, are likely to catch one of those two teams. Because someone's got to drop points. What's the goal difference situation as we stand here now, though? Uh, the goal difference as we stand, Watford are on minus 22, Bournemouth are on minus 27. So right. if West Ham were to beat Watford next week or Watford and Watford don't pick up a win in between time, there's every chance that there's a possibility that Bournemouth can catch him. Look, I'm reaching, but they, it's not dead and buried for Bournemouth yet. Where I think, whereas I think it is for Aston Villa, again, well beaten uh, tonight in their game. And they don't. They look devoid of ideas. I mean, that they, they were they were particularly poor after they had the penalty given against them. Yeah, but Bournemouth weren't great as an attacking force either. I mean, they had the Callum Wilson goal that was correctly ruled out by VAR. That was a case that's technology doing its job. They had the chance that Harry Wilson, for me, should have buried. But apart from that, they didn't really create a lot either. I just think they'll look back at the end of the season as a guilt-edged opportunity tonight against a Tottenham side who had no attacking intent, no confidence, no real desire to win the game. I think Bournemouth needed all three points. I don't think a point suffices. Well, Bournemouth, Aston Villa and Norwich will be the favourites to go down. Norwich, of course, can go down this weekend. Aston Villa uh, play on Sunday against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, uh, Roy Keane said uh, during the Sky match tonight that he thought Crystal Palace were on the beach. Well, I mean, Chelsea didn't think like that in the second half of the game on uh, Tuesday night. But um, Roy rarely gives you a free pass. Aston Villa, if they're as defensively disorganised as they were tonight... They'll be in trouble on Sunday as well. Tyro Mings backing off and allowing Mason Greenwood to have that space. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Uh, and the penalty was poor. It shouldn't have been a penalty. I mean, I've spoken to officials uh, inside the game who all agree that it's a ridiculous decision. How it's not un overturned, I don't know. Bruno Fernandes commits a foul. Condra is stupid for, 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 for thinking he can win the ball, but... 
he stops short of making a tackle. He doesn't make a tackle. He stops and Fernandez kicks him. It's, it should be overturned. And I, I don't understand why VAR has not overturned it. We know that Pierluigi Colina is going to take it all in-house into FIFA under the auspices of the governing body rather than IFAB from next season. But ultimately, I mean, the change can't come quick enough. The clarity, the standardisation has got to come across the globe because the way we're doing it in this country has become an utter mess. I was a massive advocate of it prior to the start of uh, the season because I went to all the seminars, I talked to the officials, but they haven't been consistent. They haven't done the things that broadcasters, me included, have told them that they needed to do to get it right. And ultimately, it's a shambles. It's an absolute mess. Manchester United uh, against Southampton is 8 o'clock on uh, Monday night. I thought Southampton actually in the first half of their game at uh, Goodison Park played really well. They were dominant. They were all over uh, Everton. I think they look sharper and fitter than I've seen them for most of the season. They were excellent against Manchester City and actually I thought they probably deserved to nudge it against Everton. I thought the Everton goal was against the run of play. I thought um, well, they obviously missed the penalty. James Paul Prowse smashing the top of the crossbar. I don't know what he was trying to do. Um, but... Um, I thought I thought they played really well for the first 45 minutes. I think in the second half, maybe they just overexerted themselves and lacked a little bit in terms of uh, uh, energy, and so therefore the fatigue had kicked in. But that they're a good team. Uh, if, if he can rotate a little bit on uh, Monday night, then he may may give Manchester United a game. Yeah, two points from that game. If you're Danny Ings and you're continually trying to impress Gareth Southgate, and you're now a genuine contender for the golden boot, should you not be stepping up and taking that penalty? Yeah, definitely. And especially since he's in my fantasy team. <laughs> I had the same thought. Um, and the second thing is, I'm a little bit worried about this game. Um, I, I said publicly, I thought United may not drop another point this season. And that looked a bold statement when you consider they've still got Leicester to play. But I think this game could be their most trickiest fixture that they've got left. The way Southampton are playing, particularly away from home, I think they're fifth best record in the country away from home, which is fantastic. Um, they seem to have a spring in their step. They know their jobs. Hasenhutl is doing a really good job keeping a team who should be on the beach hungry. I think United are going to have to bring their A game or this could be the match where their Champions League dream falters. OK, well, that game is Monday night, 8 o'clock, Manchester United against Southampton. Bournemouth-Leicester is 7pm on Sunday. Aston Villa-Crystal Palace is 2.15 on Sunday. And the 4.30 game is Tottenham against Arsenal. The big North London derby. I'll let you get back to your pint now. I wanted to talk a little bit at the end of this pod about the League One playoff final. The winners of the match at Wembley between Wickham and Oxford, a pretty local affair, will play in the second tier next season, the Championship. And for Wickham in particular, that would be quite some achievement. A team that hadn't played any league football until 1993 and have never played in the uh, second tier. So, I, I, I mean, this is, a, this is a massive game for Gareth Ainsworth, who looks like a, uh, an extra from uh, the Spinal Tap movie uh, and plays in a rock band and does quite well at it. Uh, and for Carl Robinson, who for a long time was sort of touted as the, the, the next bright thing in management, Darren. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's an inspirational figure who's had um, a number of clubs. I remember when he was at MK Dons and um, he handled a number of players very well. He was able to prove a good consistency of tactics and team selection. And he was always somebody that struck me as being quite 
cool and calm in difficult situations. And that allowed, particularly as younger players, to thrive, knowing that whatever happened on the pitch, they'd still have the backing of their manager. It's good to see him going on to better things. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that they're in safe hands under Carl. Uh, Oxford last played in the championship in 1999. They had three seasons in the top flight in the 80s. It would mean quite a lot for the town for them to get back up into uh, the championship. It, it, they've had their financial difficulties. They've got a stadium which isn't finished at one end. You've just got a car park and a, a cinema complex. But, um, I mean, it would be a, a fantastic uh, ending to the season if they could get up, especially when they, you know there were points during their semi-final where they didn't look like creating too much and that they were a bit lucky to get through to be honest could I just say I mean I was there earlier this season in the cup they beat uh, West Ham and they were hugely impressive on the day mm. uh, creative uh, clinical in front of goal they took advantage of West Ham's awful goalkeeper Ricardo who um, put his hands more to protect his face rather than to stop any of the shots is he better towards. or worse than Kepa infinitely much worse and I'm not a Kepa fan but Ricardo shouldn't even be a goalkeeper. Uh, He's working in uh, Tesco's now, isn't he? I think. Uh, <laughs> no, because he got fired because he tried to take something off the top shelf and dropped it on the floor. <laughs> dropped it. <laughs> um, uh, I, do, I do just want to say, though, just a quick word on, on Oxford. They play terrific stuff. and they Sometimes. They, that semi-final they was, terrific stuff in the semi-final. The semi-final was, was dreadful. It was, like, okay. well, it, it was eye-scratchingly bad. But everyone's allowed a bad day. You look at your performance last week, Sam. No, really. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, true, it's true. Go on, Alex. I'm sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm just joking. Sorry. Well, for risk of getting too political here, but we talked a bit about asterisks of the season. Oh, no. I think most neutrals Are you in a bad will mood be today? cheering for Oxford. Um, because Wickham were the team, weren't they, that were most vociferous about wanting the League One season to be yeah. curtailed because basically it meant they went from eighth in the table into a playoff place. So it would be ironic if the team who didn't want to play on end up winning promotion at an empty Wembley. I think there'll be a lot of people, as I say, cheering on Oxford. I actually think Wickham will win the game based on what we saw in the semi-finals. I think Gareth Ainsworth deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit for what he's done there. He's been linked with the Bristol City job. So perhaps his future at the club may be determined by what happens on Monday night. But like you, Sam, I wasn't impressed with Oxford. I thought they were marginally better than a really bad Portsmouth team. Perhaps they weren't even marginally better. And maybe as you said, they were lucky to get through. They were lucky to get through, I thought, because they could have had two players sent off. They could have given away three penalties in the first leg of the uh, of the semi-final. And I mean, the standard of refereeing was, I mean, it was abysmal. It really was. But you're right. I, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was one of those games where I watched 100, well, I think 200 minutes, no, 210 minutes of football and it, it's one of the you sort of think to yourself this is 210 minutes I ain't ever going to get back <laughs> it was a good advert for not continuing the season wasn't it that semi-final <laughs> uh, right what a show the ultimate preview is back on Tuesday when Crook and I will be joined by uh, Darren Bent please rate and review and tell all your friends to download it too we'll see you on Tuesday the football feast will continue and don't forget Saturday's game day we've got five Premier League commentaries for you on the most special day of the week across the TalkSport network on TalkSport and TalkSport 2 The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. 
be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to earn uh, the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to earn uh, the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.